Um, my next poem, which is a little bit out of season, but I will read it because we've been talking so much about food and also about the moon. Um, my parents joined me in Sydney uh, quite recently. They moved to Sydney three years ago, and I've been here for uh, this is my 11th year in Australia. And um, I was very, very homesick during the Mid Autumn Festival, and so this led me to write a, a poem about mooncakes. Mid Autumn Mooncakes. It's nearly mid autumn. I spy the tins at the Asian grocer, gaudy red peonies unchanged for 40 years. Of course, I buy the mooncakes with double yolks. Here in Australia, yolk or no yolk, they cost the same. I should wait for you, wait for the full moon, light some lanterns, and try to make out the lunar rabbit, the Chinese fairy, but I don't. I cut the mooncake into quarters and spoon out the deep orange yolks, leaving half round cavities in the sweet lotus paste. Eaten on their own, the yolks are creamy, almost too salty. A continent away, my mother in her kitchen would be slicing through shell and briny white. My father would be scraping duck eggs into rice porridge. They always saved me the yolks. My bowl, a cradle of bright congee, full of the gold of the mid-autumn moon. That was Mid-Autumn Mooncakes by Eileen Chung. This is Or It Didn't Happen, stories from Sydney, and from more than Sydney. I'm Zasha Rosen. Soon, we'll be hearing Dog, a comic set in a therapist's office, and in a desert, by Meg O'Shea. Before that, Sirin, a story told by Yari Bangura in front of a live audience at Parliament on King, a cafe on Newtown's busy South King Street. Uh, another story. Are you up for another story? <laughs> so um, there, this one is Sira. So I'm coming back to Susu. Susu is my native song. So once upon a time, there was these two girls. They were orphans. And because no one wants them in the village, so they went off their own way and they live in the middle of nowhere in a mud house. But because the area is surrounded by animals like lions, and Sierra Leone is known for the lions. <laughs> and so they went and settled there. Sierra is the younger one. If you've noticed as well in our story, we don't give name as well. We only give name to maybe one person in the story. So that's how our story is told. So Sira is the younger one, and the older sister is the, the breadwinner between the two of them. And so one day, the big sister told Sira, because we are not in a safe environment, I will have to teach you a song. A song that it is only you and me that knows that song. And if I sang that song, please open for me, then you know it is me. And so the sister says, Sirayo, Sirayo, Kinana, Mimensira. Sirayo, Sirayo, Kinana, Mimensira. Gaulu, Kiridia, Siga. Baba, Ulu, Kiridia, Siga. Asira, Kinana, Mimbengosu. The meaning of the song means, Sira, Sira, please open the door for me. Our father and our mother have left us. They've gone. 
see that, please open for me the door. If you want, I can teach you the song as well. Sira yo, sira yo, kinando mimbe, sira. 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 Gaolo e kiridiya, sika. Baba on le rekiridia siga. Baba on le rekiridia siga. Baba on le rekiridia siga. So every day, both of the the older sister will sing that song as the password to open the door, and so. Uh, every day she would go out to look for food. And then one day, um, the lion kept spying on, on her. And the lion would spy on her whenever she's singing the song, he would spy, listen, okay, the lion got to learn the music. And so one day, when uh, the elder sister was out, and uh, uh, Sira was just by herself at home, and then he came and he said, Sira was like, but what happened to your voice? He said, no, it's... <laughs> It's the dust. <laughs> it's the it's the dust. They said, ah, oh, but sister, what is happening to your voice? This is not your voice. See, see that <clears throat> it's the dust, and then the and then and then it was confused, and so she was getting very confused because the song is just between them. Nobody knows the song. It's a secret, and so she doesn't have choice but open the door. The lion, yes, devout on her. No, the lion, the lion, well, okay, <laughs> that was just a trick. <laughs> the lion uh, held, held her captive inside the house. Oh. And then because he's waiting for two people. <laughs> so um, the lion was in the house with her. And so the sister now came. Sira yo, sira yo, kinana mimbe, sira. Sira yo, sira yo, kinana mimbe, sira. Nga olu ikiridiya, siga. Baba olu ikiridiya, siga. Asira, kinana mimbe, ngosu. And she was very happy because she has, it's a good day. She has plenty food. And so the lion opened. Luckily, she has her knife with her from farming, from hunting, and that's how they get rid of the lion. Hmm? And both of them live. <laughs> it's better to, for the lion to kill her than, you know, so that's the story. And so um, in every story, uh, my grandmother used to ask us, what did you learn from that story? Because storytelling was not just something we enjoyed or we get scared of. It was a way that they would teach us a lesson of life. So now I just want to ask you guys what you get from that story. I would share a bit, but what do you get from that? 
an audience member says you have to be very careful who you trust? Yeah, that is true, yeah. Um, like, <laughs> there's a, a lot of orphans back home, and sometimes, um, you know, in Australia, we're very lucky, like, uh, like peop- government or people who look after the orphans, but back home, that facilities is not there. And it's either the family takes them, and if you don't have a good relation, they will just leave the children. And so this is like the real life story of a lot of people, orphans back home. Um, they get abandoned by other family member. So, yeah, so it to show that my grandmother always tell me that, like, always be nice to people, always be good to people. And um, because you don't know what people go through in their own personal life. But if you show kindness, kindness will follow you. So um, that's the that story. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. Um... So what I'd like you to try the next time you have those negative thoughts, just imagine that negative voice is a barking dog. Are you doing that? Yes. Now imagine walking away from that dog. And as you walk, one foot in front of the other, the dog's bark fades into the distance, getting quieter and quieter. Until it's gone. Hey, boy. It's all right, boy. It's just my hand. Do you think that might work for you? Yes. Good boy. Mum was an experienced teacher in China, but she couldn't really pursue teaching in Australia if she couldn't speak English. So she did what most other immigrants did. She found a job in a Vietnamese kitchen where she could communicate with other workers. She took notice of what her customers enjoyed. Pho, hô tiêu, gói cuông, thịt kho, bánh xèo. Adjusting the strength of fish sauce for Australian tastes and adapting recipes for what local ingredients were available and affordable at the time. She had to work really hard, 16-hour days, seven days a week, for years and years on end. She saved dollar by dollar so she could take over a small restaurant of her own. I never realized how hard my mum worked. I see it as, I have to come back after school to the family restaurant and my mum's forcing me to wash dishes, to chop vegetables, and to wait on the same tables where I finish my homework. I didn't like being a waiter. I wasn't interested in food. Instead, I worked in sales, 
I worked in call centers selling everything from phone plans to internet plans and insurance plans. But after 10 years in the corporate world, I finally had plans of my own. I wanted to become the first of all my friends to have my very own bar. I named it Vuivasay, which is happy and drunk. Not like Mum's suburban noodle house, but a two-story cocktail lounge on Newtown's entertainment strip, with exposed brick walls that invited the street art indoors. But then my chef walked out. I didn't have any time to find a replacement, so I was thrust into the kitchen. I had to call my mum. I need you to teach me how to cook. Tell me from start to finish. I learned my first stir-fries over hands-free kits. We kept them constantly connected between my brand new bar's kitchen and mum's traditional Vietnamese noodle house. No matter how great the recipes are or how much of your life you've put into cooking great food, you need to find a way to stand out and broaden your reach. My generation has had so much access to information and technology that it's easier for us to push the family business to a bigger and greener pasture. Coming out from the back kitchen with the food trucks is new for mum. Hey Mama Lynn, your food's delicious. People recognising her and just seeing this big grin on her face, it makes all the hard work we put into it worth it. She's still the matriarch of the family. With thanks to Zhao Lin Meng. That was Mama Lin's family business. It was originally told by Peter Wu to Matt Wynn, who made it into a comic. It was read for us again by Peter Wu. Our next story, the second last this season, is Talking Bodies by Faith Chowser. Finding an appropriate outfit for my cousin's autumnal wedding feels impossible. The Cruella blue, ultra-skinny fit suit I have for such occasions has been vetoed by the matriarchy. It's too boxy, it'll be too warm, it's too punk, too not for the cathedral, too what will people think, too it's too gay. Which is ridiculous, of course. To be a lesbian, I'd first have to be a woman. Plus, what would that make Frankie, the very male straight boy I dated, other than the boy who nicked my collection of op-shop bow ties? It should be noted that the 2018 Mother Knows Best collection does indeed include a woman's suit, as well as a fair number of short dresses that show off my curves. But me, and those? A continent away, and confident that I am the greatest top model that never was. Shame is never a function of my sartorial choices. Fear? Not since I stopped taking early morning train rides home after late night adventures with the girl. With my paisley tie, lilac skinnies and collar clips, I felt like a clear target in the brightly lit carriage. Sitting in the corner, shoulders slumped forward and low and my earphones blaring, I projected my best invisible late night commuter vibe. I'd raise my phone in front of my face so I could look past it, beyond to the teens in their newly discovered Adidas sweats and unironic baseball caps, or the bus cut boys in their docks on their way home from the soccer Careful not to stare, I'd note the details of their surly expressions, fuzzy chins and tight buff shoulders, like little wind-up toys ready to go. 
just in case I ever needed to make a statement or find myself coaching the police sketch artist. But nothing ever happened. Not to me, at least. But there are times I find myself wishing I wore something a little less me. Like when the conservative school I'm working with asks if they can have a more traditional consultant. Is the issue my queerness, my femaleness, my deceptively youthful face, acne and all? Or at an after-work function when the well-meaning waiter serves me? I don't mind. It sounds a little less awful than ma'am to my ears. If I'm lucky, none of my colleagues will have noticed. But they always do. Today it's a group giggle and a shared conspiratorial eye roll. For my benefit, because it's ridiculous that a complete stranger couldn't tell that I, in my stock tech special smoking jacket, am not a man. Not that they've asked. Not that they're sure. Or shortly after that, when I need to pee. I know, I know. No one enjoys the putrid stank of fortnightly rinsed bar bathrooms, but it's a potential audience that makes it less than comfortable. And a quiet panic slowly rises from the pit of my stomach, squeezed up as my bladder crowds out the other organs. Pulling my glass back to my lips, for the smallest sip, I consider the options. The women's bathroom. The obvious choice, maybe. Generally cleaner than the gents, but significantly more likely to lead to curious stares. Aggressive stares. Reminders that this is the women's bathroom. Concern inquiries. Are you lost? Less concerned. Are you trying to sneak a peek? But it's not that bad. If I stand up straight, chest out, maybe I'll pass. Part my lips, trying for feminine, landing on adolescent tantrum. I'll take a deep breath before I swing the door open. Lightly, though, I don't want to knock into anyone in the inevitable queue. If I remember, hook my thumb around my bra strap. See, I'm wearing one too. And only make eye contact with the space above people's heads. Yeah, that sounds good. I ease myself off the bar stool and head towards the marked door. But as I take tiny steps, working up my courage, a group of girls move ahead of me. I mean, women. I don't want to stereotype, but in their high heels, pink nails and business chicks conference swag bags, I worry they may not be up for a conversation about the spectrum. Prejudging myself through their eyes, I take a step back to look for the men's. An almost guaranteed splash zone. The urinal is an obvious non-starter, but there might be a cubicle with my name on it. Hopefully not my phone number. It will be gross. There might be pee on the floor but they'll all be too busy averting their gaze to notice anything untoward. Another deep breath and I step in, just as Matt tries to step out. Sorry, I mean, Faith. After what feels like half an hour of just standing there, I take a step back. Shots? Two awkward tequilas later, I'm still desperate to pee. I've done two casual sweeps of the bar looking for the accessible bathroom. It must be here. It's a coat standard, right? Maybe? I don't know. But I've been holding for over an hour, which means I'm stupidly close to UTI territory, which means I need to leave. Or speak to a human about the fact that I need to pee. Fifteen minutes later, I'm back at the office, zipping up my fly. Washing my hands, I catch a relieved grin on my face. I reach into my pocket. I need capture and share all of this adorable... Hashtag bathroom selfies. But I've got a text from mom. WhatsApp, actually. 
I bite my lip and open it. How about we compromise, it reads. You can wear your suit, but no jacket, and I get a final say in the shirt. I look back up to the mirror, to a full grinning face. I send a snap of that as a reply. She didn't say anything about a tie. My son Leon is three. It's a great age. Aside from suddenly finding poo and farts as funny as I do, he's also started grappling with big concepts. Stuff like... the extinction of the dinosaurs. Human anatomy and evolution. Actually... After I spoke with him about evolution, he turned to my partner and he said, Mom, did you used to be a monkey? (laughs) So he's grappling with some stuff, but clearly time scales are not something he's wrapped his head around yet. I can almost see him like picturing her with hair, you know, like all over her face. And he was like, yeah, okay. Just kind of getting used to the idea. He's also been very interested in the concept of death, which is not surprising. Aside from the extinction of the dinosaurs, which tends to bring up things like death, The topic has been kind of in high rotation in our house since my father passed away. He got sick last November and his health declined really rapidly. And then very, very suddenly he was dead. Um, And it it was a total shock and it it still kind of is. Um, And I got to see him shortly before he died, but I wasn't able to fly back for the memorial. So my partner, Kepi, and my son, Leon, and our six-month-old daughter, Elodie, flew to the States on a plane for a belated memorial this past June. But luckily, my father's body was preserved in this airless chamber made of glass, just waiting for my return, just like Mao and Lenin's had been. It was super cool. He was a really, really important guy. Well, to me. No, he was just cremated, but the ashes were compacted into this tiny action figure, in, in, in his perfect likeness, only seven centimeters high, and, and it was crazy. It was as hard as diamond and as heavy as uranium. <laughs> I swear, no, that's not true. No, they were just regular old ashes. They were shockingly regular, actually. My father had been living in a small town called Great Barrington in western Massachusetts. It's a cute little town with a booming summer tourist industry that my father, who was a freelance advertiser, never quite tapped into. Um, Growing up, things never quite worked out financially for my family, and yet somehow we always thought of ourselves as solidly middle class. And in retrospect, I feel like my parents must have put a lot of work into that to pull that off. Western Massachusetts is a leafy, green place in the summer full of hiking trails and overgrown baseball diamonds and like freezing cold streams and rivers. And for my father's memorial, we picked out a spot by a lake, a kind of secluded lake, And we decided we would dig a hole, with permission, dig a hole, and put his ashes in it, and then plant a tree on top of the ashes and have a picnic. My younger brother and myself and my older sister, we were tasked with picking out a tree for the occasion. And the day of the memorial was the following day. And so we just drove around together to a couple of local nurseries. And I love my siblings. I love spending time with them. But like this was a really awkward afternoon. No one really knew how to talk about what we were setting out to do. And walking around our first nursery between rows of scraggly trees, as we baked in the summer heat, the scope of our task began to dawn on us. Because we weren't there just to pick out a tree. We were there to pick out a tree that was my dad. You know, that was our father, that somehow represented him. 
which is a little bit confusing because I don't know, I, I had a picture of him earlier, but my father was not a tree. <laughs> so <clears throat> we began looking through trees and having these weird discussions like, hey, was dad an oak? And we're all like, oh, no, definitely not an oak. Like, that, that, that wasn't him. Hey, was that an apple tree? Like, what a weird thing to say. Um, I never saw my dad eat an apple. I don't know if it's because he had dentures his whole life, but, yeah, never saw him bite into one. Was he a crab apple tree with its little small sour fruit? That somehow seemed ironic and funny, you know? And I remember, actually, like, this was attached to a memory. I remember as kids, we would have these big crab apple fights with the neighbors, and... It were really fun until someone was successful because crab apples are basically rocks with stems. So someone would get hit and then it was just like a nightmare of like political parenting for, for, for everyone involved. So we decided not. Eastern red bud. None of us knew what an eastern red bud was. Dogwood. Um, they've got really beautiful flowers. I remember we had one outside a driveway one time. And I remember my dad liking them, but then I remember slipping in, like, the muck that the flowers made when they fell off and rotted. Like, this slick, weird smear. It was disgusting. So we decided not to do that one. What about a birch? A birch was good. I remember peeling off the papery bark as a kid and drawing schematics of my badly designed traps and snares when I was out in the woods. They were like the worst survival advice a child could find. Like if anyone else had found them and was just trying to live, it wouldn't have gone well. So I had this like personal connection and so did my siblings. And then our dad was like a really pasty white guy. And every summer when we were on vacation, he would always inevitably get terribly sunburned the first day of vacation in an extremely preventable, like we would have the sunscreen sitting there and then his skin would peel. So like that's what happens with the tree, the kind of white bark starts to peel away and we were like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, yeah. Dad, you know? So, so we decided on this birch, but, but then we realized that that couldn't possibly represent our father um, because it was way too expensive. <laughs> Who knew? Like, they grow everywhere, but yeah. So on second thought, like, it was in bad taste. So we did some looking at the price tags this time, and we went back to the crab apple tree. <laughs> and it was very reasonable at $249. After we read that, we were like, oh, God, I actually, it kind of does look like him. It really does look like him. The resemblance is actually uncanny now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it looks just like him. We kind of do double takes, like as if he was standing there. And, and we gathered in the car park, and... From the parking lot, we walked down to the lake, and it was this really spectacular summer day, just the kind of day that would have burnt my dad. Um, so we went to our pre-dug hole, and my sister shook out our dad's ashes into it, and then my younger brother and I placed the crab apple tree on top of it, and then we just shoveled on some dirt and watered the tree with buckets, and we took water from the lake. And then we just sat there for a while, and the whole thing was really surreal and difficult and lovely and, and just like achingly sad. And then that afternoon, we go back home and Leon kind of goes off by himself and I find him thoughtfully poking a dead fly. So I was interested. And I walked over to him and I looked down at him and he turns to me and he was like, 
Dad, when we die, we don't come back? And I told him, no, we, we don't come back. And the fly was dry and brittle, and so when he poked it again, its wings just fell off, you know? And then he asked, Dad, when we die, do we break apart? And I said, yeah, yeah, we do. Our bodies break down and we go back to the earth. Yeah. And then a tree grows out of us? <laughs> and, and I thought about it for a few seconds. And we just looked at the bits of dead fly. And I thought about my dad. And, and then I just decided not to overcomplicate it, you know? And so I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, close enough. Yeah, that's a, that's a really nice way to think about it, Leon. Yeah. And it felt good having this quiet moment of connection with him. And I thought we had both done well, you know? That we'd reached this mutual understanding. And I felt like this great, wise parent. But then we went outside to play in the backyard. <laughs> and I could actually see on my son's face this new unintended connection being made between trees and the recently deceased. <laughs> and I... And, and I stood there with him for a little while, just looking up at the trees behind the house, trying to see them the way that he did. And I thought about correcting him, but then I thought, nah, <laughs> close enough. That was Funeral Trees, read by Finn McCabe. You can find more of Finn's work at finnmccabe.com. That's F-I-O-N-N-M-C-C-A-B-E.com. Finn has just finished collaborating with the writer and artist Pat Grant, who you may remember from a reading earlier this season. They've just finished making The Grot, a three-part comic. You can read, buy, or just find it at thegrotcomic.com. That's G-R-O-T. Funeral Trees was recorded at Read To Me, a comics reading night in Sydney, it has some amazing illustrations which you cannot hear in this version, but the best of them is this episode's episode art, which you can sometimes find in your podcast app and you can always find on this show's website. You can find Read to Me by searching Facebook for Read to Me. Eileen Chong's Mid-Autumn Mooncakes was originally performed at Asheville Town Hall as part of the event Uncommon Feast. The poem was originally collected in Eileen's collection Burning Rice. You can find more of her work at eileenchong.com.au. That's E-I-L-E-E-N-C-H-O-N-G. Thanks also to Sheila Pham, who organised the original event. Sarah was told by Yari Bangura, a Sydney-based storyteller and entrepreneur. She also sells Auntie's Ginger Tonic, which is the thing she brought know-how of from Sierra Leone, as well as stories. You can find her on Facebook by searching for Auntie's Ginger Tonic. Sira was originally performed at Parliament on King, a cafe and social enterprise on South King Street in Newtown. Dog was originally a comic by Meg O'Shea, who read it for us and did almost all the noises in this piece. You can read a lot more of Meg's work at pleaseusethisbag.tumblr.com. 
You can also find her on Instagram. Search for even.little.meg. Mama Lynn's family business was originally a comic written and drawn by Matt Wynn from interviews with Peter Wu. It was originally published in the Comic Sans anthology. Peter Wu came back and read this version for us. Additional recording on this story by Sheila Pham. Faith Chowser's Talking Bodies was originally recorded for All the Best by Alison Chan. An earlier version was performed for the 2018 Sydney Writers' Festival at an event run by the Finishing School Mentoring Project. You can find out more about Faith and the Finishing School via the Finishing School website. There'll be a link in our show notes. Thanks again to Sheila on this story and to Felicity Castagna. Episode art is by Finn McCabe. Show art by Annie Hamilton. Or It Didn't Happen is hosted and produced by me. I'm Zasha Rosen. That was our last episode this season. We'll be back soon with more stories from Sydney and beyond.